there is such spectacle to theater. And if you're not creating that spectacle, that really doesn't bring people to forget that they're in the theater and live in the world that you're creating around them, you lose people. This is the Community of Theater podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the community theaters, the local theaters, the amateur educational and outreach theaters, the not-for-profit theaters of all kinds that stage over 25,000 productions across America every year. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different in that we're going to discuss a production I'm actively involved in right now. And my guest today is Beth James. Hi, Beth. Hello. Uh, Beth is directing an upcoming production of Nine to Five, the musical adaptation of the 1980 film at the Gaslight Baker Theater in Lockhart this summer. And my wife and I are serving as co-vocal directors for that production. Now, I already had on my to-do list for the podcast an episode exploring what all a director actually does in a community theater production. As an actor, I have a sense of the range of things that happen in an actual rehearsal, and not all listeners do, so I do want to touch on that as well. But I'm increasingly aware that there's a lot of things that happen outside of the formal rehearsal time. Yes. We're about to have auditions in a week and a half. We just finished a production meeting here at my house uh, discussing how the auditions are going to work and some other things about it. So it, it seemed like a great opportunity right in the middle of the process. And my hope is that you can walk us through everything that's happened thus far. And maybe we'll touch a little bit on what we expect the rest of the process to look like post-audition and everything. And my hope is either once the show is open or shortly after we close, we can have kind of a follow-up conversation where we really focus on what happened from the auditions forward. And for the sake of this podcast, I want there to be interesting problems that happen and be able to talk about how we handle them. For the sake of the production, I want everything to go very smoothly. But if something comes up, we can talk about that then too. There's always problems. You're right, never it's just a question of which them. one they're going to be. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's the, the structure of what I like to talk about. So is it best to start at the beginning chronologically? How, how did you find out this was the show you're going to direct? So um, I actually am part of the advisory committee for Gaslight Baker. So I actually... Send Eric a list of shows. He's the artistic director there, and he probably thinks I'm nuts because the first three times I've talked to him about shows, I've probably sent him a list of more like 60 shows that I was interested (laughs) in directing, or I'll send him a list and it'll be like, here are the highlighted ones that I'm interested in, and here are the other ones that would be good for your company that I'm not going to touch because I really love structuring a season as well and mm-hmm. thinking about like what's going to work and what's going to flow. And he and I have been able to have a good relationship where that's worked for him as well. Uh, I actually didn't with this specific show. I didn't pitch this show, but I had pitched that I was interested in doing the musical and the artistic director had actually chosen this one specifically that he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So he approached me about directing nine to five it just happens that it's been on my list of 60 shows that I've wanted to direct. So, of course, I said yes to well, it. Well, not to derail the conversation immediately, but you mentioned shows that you think a company should do, but you're, you wouldn't touch. What do you mean by that? What, what makes a particular show appropriate for a particular director? Well, sometimes it's just like what feels for you, but there are certain shows that I'm just not willing to do. Steel Magnolias is one of them. Mm-hmm. One, I am type 1 diabetic. It's portrayed in the 80s. I think it's a little archaic. A lot of people love it. It's a very popular show. I've also done it five times. So (laughs) there's at a point where you're just like, I'm not doing this show anymore. Mm -hmm. So some of it is that. Some of it is shows that I just don't connect to or I don't find that I would be the right person to stage it in a way that I would want to see it done, but I could see other people doing it. Like, I'm not super into doing Christmas shows, People love them. They're part of people's seasons. They're usually the highest selling show at all of the community theaters, which is why they have one, because people have traditions of going to them. I don't find a lot of body to them. There are a couple that I find body to, but very few. So I kind of try to stay away from those. When you say body, I'm guessing that means kind of heft of meaning. Yes. And not that I need every one of my shows to have like some profound Mm -hmm. meaning. But I have a hard time when I don't find 
the text as interesting. Mm-hmm. I need to feel like I can play in this space too. Just mm-hmm. just like an actor, you don't want to audition for something that doesn't call to you, doesn't feel like something that connects with you. And I feel the same way as a director that you shouldn't touch a script that you're not interested in. I've done quite a few shows that people have asked me to come and direct for them. And I always have a harder time with the beginning process of that show. And it becomes, all of my shows are very actor-led, but it becomes way more about how I feel the actors are going to do in it than how I'm doing in it. And as an artist with them, I want my touch in there with the actor's touch. And I have trouble with that in shows that I just can't connect with, with what their text is. Okay, so you you find out that this show's on the season and you're going to direct it. So then then what happens? At some point, you contacted us to ask about music directing. I have no idea how early in the process or what else had gone on already. So yeah, um, that was pretty early. I probably got the call that I was going to direct this show or if I was interested in directing this show three weeks before they did their announcement Mm -hmm. because they have a board and their board has to vote. That's the way Gaslight Baker works. So I knew that this was kind of what I was going to do. And actually, this is the first show in a while that I've had a long time to prepare. There's the last couple of shows I've done. I've had two, three weeks and auditions were happening and I had to go on the fly, work on what I can. I took over a show in 2019 that the director dropped out. My husband and I co-directed that. And we had to like sit there and say, okay, what do we want from this? How can we do this? What will work for this? And what's been really nice about this show and having a lot of time, which is desperately needed in a musical, you cannot just jump off with a musical the same way you can with a straight play, in my opinion, is I've spent a lot of time with the music. Not as much time with a script because I might be a little strange, but I never spend a lot of time with a script before I have actors. I read it. I kind of know where I want things to go. I know like the technical aspects and that's what I live in before I cast. And you're not talking about just musicals there. You're saying any show. Any show I do. It is a weird thing of mine. (laughs) So the last show that I did was Play That Goes Wrong. And I read the script before I pitched it Mm -hmm. in the middle of 2020. And I read the script when we decided that maybe it was a contender of one of the shows that might be the season. And I did not read it again until I read through on purpose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And a lot of directors would think I am totally crazy for saying that because a lot of directors live in that script. Mm -hmm. But I believe that it comes to life with the people you cast. So I don't want to continue to read it and create characters in my head and how characters should play and how they should be because I'm sitting in the script. And I do have like that kind of imagination where when I read something, I'm like, oh, this is how this person should look. And Mm -hmm. this is how they should walk. And this is how they should feel. And when I used to act, I try not to act anymore. But when I used to act, before I auditioned, I would live in the script, really feel that character that I thought that I was good for. And before we even started rehearsals, I would be like, I'm going to do this movement. I know how this is working. I know how this is working. Plus, I'm a terrible memorizer. I cannot do it. (laughs) And I would memorize the script before we even started rehearsal because it was the only way that I was going to get through it. Mm -hmm. And when I started directing, I started realizing that didn't work for my brain to actually be artistic. Then Mm -hmm. I was just being robotic. And I want everybody's art to show through and I want to feel free to cast whoever I want into whatever role I want and the only way I can do that is not living in the script and having a picture of what it's supposed to look like in my head so then backing up to the things you do I know you reached out to find music directors for the show what what is the the team that you need to assemble what are all the roles that need to be filled so for a musical you need a good music director it's really important I decided to ask you and Becca because I think Becca and I had a pretty good connection during Secret Garden with the issues and the good things that happened when we worked on that together Mm -hmm. years ago. And I think that that really led me and I was hesitant because I really saw Becca being in this show. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with you as well in that same show. And I was like, if I can get them together, then I'll feel really comfortable 
letting them both be a team together, seeing both of them in the show and not finding as much of a conflict there because there's some freedom to work with those people as well. And then I, the next person that I asked, or I guess the first person that I asked was Rachel, who is my assistant director and choreographer, because mm-hmm. we need a choreographer because you don't want to see me dance or try <laughs> to tell people how to dance. It will not be pretty. I need a set designer who can deal with me. I throw out lots and lots and lots of ideas. They're not always good ideas. They're a good majority bad ideas. And I need someone who can rein me in or make it happen. Mm-hmm. One of the two. I also got a stage manager, which that tends to be my biggest struggle is finding a stage manager who I can work with. Not that I can't work with them, but I need someone who's willing to be fully collaborative and really feel that notion. And so I try to take that personality trait and find that with my whole team up to lighting designers, sound designers, who's doing publicity. I want everybody to feel like they're working together, including my actors, because we're mm-hmm. a team and that's just how it works. So those are the, the the people who you've already had involved at this point. What about the venue itself, the company? And I know sometimes a company and a venue are separate things. In this case, the Gaslight Baker is, is essentially a unified entity. Right. So I base my shows that I pitch off of the venue that they're in. Mm-hmm. So Gaslight is big. It has a huge stage. It needs something that fills that stage. There's a lot of directors who can do shows with nothing on stage, and I'm not quite that person. You mean like a truly minimalist set in the actual production? Yeah, Yeah. and I can do it sometimes. Like, we did As You Like It, and all we got was a tree branch in the middle of it. (laughs) And I loved that for that, because Shakespeare needs to be open and open to interpretation and you can kind of do whatever you want and it's great for that but say gaslight i feel like if i only had a tree branch it would feel like i wasn't using the space Mm -hmm. and there is such spectacle to theater and if you're not creating that spectacle that really doesn't bring people to forget that they're in the theater and live in the world that you're creating around them you lose people they start critiquing you more. They start Mm. saying, oh, that acting isn't very good with this person or, huh, that costume could have been different. But if you create this full spectacle where the set is large, the lighting is awesome, the music is awesome, the actors are awesome, and you work together to make it a full scene, people are a lot more likely to live with you in that moment and give you that two and a half hours Mm -hmm. instead of zoning out or finding the issues and problems, which I say that from experience because I do that when I go see shows. If the show doesn't make me live in that moment, I will find every little thing that could be fixed on it. Mm -hmm. And I want to create an environment where people aren't doing that during my shows. So we we talked a little bit in our production meeting earlier about uh, scheduling, and I guess you kind of alluded to having a lot of extra space. What is your ideal time frame for a musical, start to finish? When you say start to finish, do you mean like from, from finding out you are going to be doing the show, and then how long do you want to prep before having auditions, and and then how how long do you want of a rehearsal process? Sure, the more time, the merrier. Honestly. I think that you can live in auditions for too long or Mm -hmm. live in actual rehearsal process too long. But if they decided a season like in May, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't doing the show till the next July, that gives me more time to find my team, for my team to understand what we're looking for. It gives my brain way too much time to decide how all of the tech is going to work because that's really what I live in during pre-production is how the tech is going to look, what I want it to look like, how it's going to move, how things are going to happen. Is there going to be giant set pieces in the way? Like where is everything going to live? When are we going to start talking to the set designers? And the more time you have for that, the better. You mentioned that you don't revisit the script in particular, and it might vary from show to show, but do you, for at least some shows, get into any kind of like period research or setting research or that kind of thing? Yes. So 
I don't think we've talked about this, but what I got my degree in at Texas State was performance and production, Mm -hmm. and I focused in directing and dramaturgy. Okay. And I really thought I was going to be a professional dramaturg. That was kind of where I sat. And all they do is research shows. They research time periods. They're the person to be like, hey, this is a Baptist house, and that's a crucifix. That's a Catholic thing. You need to take the crucifix down off the wall. It's not the correct thing. <laughs> that's that's their job in professional theater, and it's not common in America. Uh-huh. It's common everywhere else. I, I only heard the word for the first time about five years ago, and I've been actively involved in community theater for like 20 years. Yeah, it's really not heard of at all in community theater, but when I was in junior college at North Harris, my director, he was phenomenal. It's the best tech work I've ever seen. Like everything he does is beautiful and great and wonderful tech wise. Mm -hmm. It's just always a huge spectacle. And that's kind of where that came in my brain. But he had realized that I acted in shows, but I loved tech and I did lots of tech and I considered myself a techter where I acted and did tech all the time. And he finally was the one who told me I should be a director. But before we did that, he actually put me in dramaturgical roles. And he did that because he realized that I am a details person. Mm -hmm. I think love is in the details. I believe very strongly that you should pay attention to every little aspect of what's happening because that influences everything. It influences the character. It influences how the set's supposed to move. It influences when the lights are supposed to happen. Uh, The first thing I did was for the show Doubt. And he put me on that because it's a Catholic show and I grew up Catholic. So he was like, you will know all of this (laughs) stuff that I don't know, including what kind of priest robes he should be wearing right now and what colors they should be. And I did a lot of other things, but I was on a Fulbright scholarship there. So I was required to do whatever position he gave me. That That was the rule of our thing. I had to work a certain amount of hours and I had to be whatever he put me in. So if he cast me, I had to be in the cast. It didn't matter who it was in the cast. I had to accept the role. Mm -hmm. If he wanted me to stage manage, I had to stage manage. If he wanted me to do dramaturgy, I had to do dramaturgy. So I did dramaturgy for that show, and I fell in love with it because it is all details. That is literally all I was doing. Research for the period, trying to figure out exactly what was right. That show even talks about, like, him chewing his nails and nail beds and I got into a weird thing about that where we were talking about like how does that look and how does it read on stage and how should we break his nails should we break his nails should we make it look a certain way since he chews them he talks about the perfect nails that he has at a different time like how does that progress through the story like where what do we do to make like even those little tiny tiny details that most people wouldn't think about and I ended up doing that because right before that we had done To Kill a Mockingbird, and I played Mayella, and I got obsessed with her shoes, because in the book, (laughs) it talks about that her shoes were basically made of rubber tires, Uh and that she had put them together that way because she was so poor, and I was obsessed that I needed shoes that looked like, at least, that they were made of rubber tires. It's not mentioned in the show. It's not mentioned anywhere in the play. There's very little to know about it, but I needed to know every single detail and how it works and I think that's what kind of set me off on directing might be my thing because you need to mix all of those details and really know how every piece of the theater works you don't have an exception like you need to know how ticket sales go and you need to know how sound works in that space and you need to know how the lighting works because I am not going to be the person to go to someone and be like, hey, you need to do this for me and have no idea how it works. Now, there are things that I am bad at. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty bad at actually building set pieces. I'm good at doing prop stuff, but I'm not very good at actual set pieces, but I know how it works. Yeah. I've been there. I've done it myself. I've gotten involved that way. I hate to not know something. It makes me feel uncomfortable being in a space and telling someone I expect them to do something if I don't know how to do it myself. It's unfair to the people that I'm working with, I feel like. That doesn't mean I have to be perfect at it, but... I mean, I I get where you're coming from, but it does sound like that puts a a very, very high barrier to entry to directors. And I don't think that there's... I don't think every director needs to be like that. This is is how I work. (laughs) And, And that's kind of the thing with directing. Like, everybody is different. 
I've been a manager since I was 18 years old of like my personal professional business life. I have managed businesses since I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where it started, where I felt like I can't ask my staff to do something that I wouldn't do or know how to do. So I need to research and I need to know how it works. And I need to take the time that I don't know how to program these lights. Okay, I need to sit with a lighting director and like learn how mm-hmm. that works. doesn't mean I have to be the one doing it. It just means I have to at least know the basic foundations of how it works so that I'm not expecting something ridiculous or asking for something crazy mm-hmm. because I know that my little brain can go crazy and say I need a whole wall of alarm clocks and I don't need a whole wall of alarm <laughs> clocks. And I know that's going to be a million dollars. Which but... which is referencing the, the production meeting we had earlier about to nine to five specifically. Yeah. You would like a wall of alarm. I clocks, would. Please. That go off on their own and then all go off at the same time and then all shut off at the same time. Of course. But it's probably not reasonable. <laughs> well, do, do you, have you done more dramaturgical work for this show in particular? Yeah, I've done some 1970s, 1980s research on Office. I've seen the movie. It's been a couple of years since I've mm-hmm. seen the movie. But I know a crazy amount of Dolly Parton. I've been a Dolly Parton (laughs) fan for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. I have reached out where I can to those kind of foundations. I have watched the original production. I haven't touched, I've watched it once. I have not touched it since, but Mm -hmm. it's available on YouTube. Okay. (laughs) What was that one, Off-Broadway? No, no, that's the Broadway one. On Broadway. it's, it's, It's the bootleg version of it the full original cast is on broadway but i have to be careful Mm -hmm. when i do stuff like that too because i don't want to steal their ideas Mm -hmm. i want to use it well that is such an interesting idea to me and it's obviously a a well-established premise but i mean part of putting on a show the uh, you're licensing the very specific ideas the Mm -hmm. script and you're not allowed to change it at all. That's a that's a big issue that we run into in community theater a lot, where people don't realize they're not allowed to change it. But you're not. So I don't. I have kind of a problem squaring the notion that we need to be creative and not steal ideas from other aspects of the production. I mean, why why the difference? Sure. So when I say not steal, mm-hmm. I don't mean those specific moments that are in a script. Like, yeah, you have to do them. Now you're going to have your your thing that you want to do. But say that you're directing and you're working with these actors and the actor comes to you and they're like, what if I flip off the audience for this part? And you're like, yeah, that's hysterical. It's not in the script, Mm -hmm. but it's something that you as a team have created. And then you go to another show and you're like, hey, I saw that person at my show. And then they do the exact same thing. It's not written in the script. They saw someone else do it, and they were like, I'm going to do it too. Mm -hmm. And I've had that moment, that exact moment of like, (laughs) hey, I know this person. They came to see my show, and it was something very specific that we had come up with that was not written in the script, not even close to written in the script. And then they did that moment, and not really in the right place of Uh the script either, but all your red flags start going up because it's still art. We're still creating. We're given a more defined canvas in theater than like a regular artist's. It doesn't blank. There's a script. There's things that we need to fill in. But if we're painting by number, does that mean we don't have creativity and creative touches on our pieces? Like we obviously have my paint by number will not look like your paint by number, even if it's saying like these are the exact colors that need to be there. I'm going to shade differently. I might add swirlies in a section. I might Uh do those things. And it's really important because that's the art that we're creating. It's not just saying, I'm taking this show and I'm creating the exact same show over and over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. It's also why I personally don't really like to touch shows that I've already done before. I like to let them live in their worlds that they lived in and move on to something new and something new to create. And that's interesting. I think that probably your approach to to creativity and originality there is probably the majority opinion. But I have definitely worked with directors who are more interested in recreating 
I, I don't know if it'd be kind of derogatory to call them museum pieces, but just mm-hmm. want to, you know, the, their purpose in putting on a given production is different. Mm-hmm. It is to present something that has existed before and just do that again because they see value in, in that. And there are shows that are written specifically for that. And it's how if you if you decide to do that show or mm-hmm. some of those shows just don't call to me. I don't direct yeah. them because I feel like they are that. And do you have specific examples in mind? Actually, the first one that I thought of was the show I just directed, which is Play That Goes Wrong. Yeah. It is written to be a very certain way. But I didn't watch it beforehand. I didn't look at what any of the things that were created. The little bit of research that I did do on that show specific had to do with some of the very specific stunts to see how we could recreate it at a budget level. Yeah, It's a very physically intense show and potentially really dangerous. It's a very dangerous show, and I had never put my actors in any sort of danger, so mm-hmm. I need to know how all of those things work. So I did research those things, but that show is very specific about what happens, and you can't necessarily get away from that. Like, it's always going to be... Like, I'm part of a support group now on Facebook, a mm-hmm. Play That Goes Wrong support group. And I can tell you, it's the same I mean, set. That sounds like a joke. Yeah, no, it's real, because that, that show is insane. It's it's so intense. It is such a hard show. It's probably the most difficult set GBT has built because of how difficult it is. Walls have to fall down. People have to get hit in the face with a shield. There's a live fire on stage. Wow. And we had to pull some things, too. Like, we couldn't have a floorboard come up and hit someone in the face, which the script calls for, but... We would have had to lay an entire wood floor down mm-hmm. to get someone to get yeah. whacked in the face by it. And, like, that's not cost effective for community theater. There's an elevator on stage, and we had to be like, okay, how do we deal with the elevator? Well, we don't have money for an elevator, so maybe we'll put some lights up and we'll call it the elevator and, like, we'll make a crash box so it makes sounds like it's crashing. So that show was very well received. It was well attended. And you seem to speak of it very highly. And Mm -hmm. and the people I know who were involved in that production also speak of it very highly. But that seems to be in contrast with what you're saying, which seems to imply it was not an opportunity to be very creative. Right. But we made it one. How did you do that? What was, where did you find the opportunities to exercise your creativity in that? So the things, like I was saying, like I'm in the support group, if you go look at it, everybody's set's exactly the same. I actually had someone the other day be like, does anybody's set look different than this one? And I was like, (laughs) yes, my set did look different than all of these. And Uh I like sent them pictures of how our set looked. And how while the stunts had to be the same, my actors did not. Mm-hmm. And that was the creativity part there, is really working with them of, well, what do you think of this? And how do we play in this world that you're playing a person who is in a show performing mm-hmm. and things are going badly around them the whole time? Mm-hmm. And how have you, as the person, not the character you're playing feel about that so it's like a threefold in that show and and that's where we got a lot of our creativity and i let them play with like someone asked me one time they're like okay so we're on this platform and you know it's just shifted could i throw this furniture piece off of the top and they're stunt furniture pieces most shows you wouldn't be able to do that i'm like yeah absolutely almost (laughs) drop it on this person in fact catch Mm -hmm. it while it's in the air about to hit someone on the face like Mm -hmm. And we had to work those things, but I get the ability as the director to let them find these moments that don't necessarily exist in the script instead of producing stock show. Mm -hmm. Here is stock show. We move our arm like this. We move over here because that's what it says in the script. There are things in the script that you do have to follow, but Mm -hmm. one of the things that people I think don't realize is when you're looking at a script that has a crazy amount of stage directions in it. There are two ways scripts are sent to production. They are sent raw from the person who wrote them, the playwright. Those are usually the ones that have very little stage direction, have very purposeful stage direction. Mm -hmm. And then you get the scripts that are like, moves left, moves Mm -hmm. center, moves right. That's the stage manager's copy usually of whatever the professional production was. Mm -hmm. They decided that these people had to move that way. Does your cast have to move the way? Does it change the story if they don't? Are you changing the intent if they don't move center, even though the show says move center? What 
are you creating on that piece? And being able to interpret that is what's probably the most important thing that a director can do is to interpret, are you changing the piece if you don't move them to the center of the stage? Probably not. But there are people who look at the script and say, that says they move center, so I'm going to direct it that they move center. Going by my gut feeling of the scripts that I've worked with myself, is that a a trend that's changing over time? Are they are they publishing less of the intense stage directions? Uh, I think it's kind of mixed still. Okay, okay. I think in like cases like Play That Goes Wrong, it's, it was very, you do this, you move here, you do this, you do this. And oh, we didn't okay. always follow that. I mean, yeah. we, we couldn't. Our stage is set up differently than their stage is set up. Like, we're going to have things in different places. But then there are scripts like Love and Information that don't even tell you who plays what part. <laughs> they don't tell you stage directions. All they do is have lines. The director has to decide, well, this person says this line and this person says this line because that makes sense for what we're doing. So it's a it's a variety yeah. of, of what. And, and your brain is the person to in, interpret what that really means. Like what I as the director think is imperative to the story and what just happens to be something a professional cast did before it got published. Okay. Yeah, that's my weird theater knowledge for you of scripts. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. Uh, I guess, but circling back to the the main through line of today's episode, I think we've covered, at least at a high level, everything except the meeting schedule going up to auditions. Because we just had, I guess, the second meeting I've been part of today. Mm-hmm. We met initially months and months ago, I think back in October. This is February now. Yes. Just to discuss uh, our, our concerns with being able to audition for the show and music direct at the same time before we said yes. So that might not necessarily even be a meeting in, in every circumstance if you're just getting people to sign on to the project. Uh, and then... Today was our second meeting, and we discussed a lot of the details of how the audition process will work at a more granular level. Uh, are there other meetings that you've had with other folks involved, perhaps with the the board from the GBT or the artistic direction there? So I haven't had a meeting with either of those parties. Hmm. I've worked with the board, so they're pretty confident in what I can do. It's same same with their artistic director. But I do bug him probably on a weekly basis about things that I'm thinking about. The artistic director of oh, the theater yeah. itself? Yes. Yeah. We we have a good uh, chain text message that goes back and <laughs> forth about how I feel about everything that exists in the theater in general, plus whatever I'm working on on the show, what I think I'm going to need for the show. I text him this morning to see if scripts were in yet. Mm-hmm. And like you said, of our meeting where y'all were, you know, figuring out. But our meeting really that I wanted to come of it was like, what do y'all expect of me as a director? Mm -hmm. How do you want to work? This is how I work. Are you comfortable with that? Is this Mm going to work for you? And I try to have that with every big person that I'm working with. So anybody who's like really in charge of a category. On this show in particular, my husband is designing the set and my friend Robin is designing the set and I've worked with both of them. Robin designed my last set for me. Luke has never actually designed a set before. This is going to be his first time, but he's been doing a lot of set construction mainly because I want way more than the person who's designing can chew. So he comes Uh in and helps and tries to help build and get things going and I sat with him and told him what I wanted and he told me what he wanted and we talked about like, okay, where can we find the compromise? What can we build? And I'll do the same thing with Robin. We'll all three sit down and we'll say, this is what I really want. Do y'all have a better idea? What what are y'all's ideas? What does it look like for you creatively and how does it speak to you creatively for this? Because even your technicians are part of your creative team. Mm-hmm. So they need to have a hand in being able to be that as well. So I tried to do that with all of my people just to be like, hey, this is how I work. Does that work for you? Are you comfortable with that environment? Good. You are. You can be on the team. No, you're not. Okay, cool. Awesome. I'd love to work with you in the future. If you want to come audition, you can. Like, I'll give them that whole spiel. If it, if I don't work for them, everybody's personality yeah. is different. I'm, we're going to work with some people well and not with others. It's just how it is. Mm-hmm. 
But let me then uh, turn to something really unique to this production that, that we've kind of alluded to a couple times. But because this episode is likely to go up a week or so before the auditions for this show, I want to make sure to to get it all on the record uh, and, and out there because it is it's an ethical point, which is mm-hmm. that you are allowing Becca and I to audition for this show given that we are musical directors. We're right. not precast in any role. We are not guaranteed a role at all. Right. I, and I certainly didn't necessarily expect you to allow us to. But that's a discussion that, you know, she and I had when you offered us the the role as music directors. You know, we both want to audition for it. How are we going to handle that? So how do you view that ethical conflict? And how did you come to, to be willing to let us go out for it? Sure, that... This is kind of my point on all of this. It's a creative team, right? And you want them to be creative in the best aspects that they can. Part of my creative process is I'm the person who casts the show. Mm-hmm. I take all the advice from people. I listen to everything anyone tells me. I mean, even if it's someone I've barely met and they tell me that they've had a really bad experience with someone, I think about that. I look into it. I see what's going on. But at the end of the day, it's still my call on that decision. Mm -hmm. And to me, that breaks the conflict of interest. Because if I made the call, hey, I'm so sorry, I don't really think that you fit into my main cast. I still want to work with you, obviously. Like, you've already signed on to do this. Are you comfortable still doing it? I expect that person to respect that boundary and say, yes, I'm still willing to work with you. Or Mm -hmm. if they don't, to say, no, I thought I was going to get cast. Screw you. I'm not doing this (laughs) show anymore. Like, that's fine. But I have that ultimate call. Mm -hmm. And if that was the case, if someone came in and was like, screw you, you didn't cast me in the show, but you, you know, have me working and building your set for you, I'd be like, great. I'm so sorry that that didn't work for you. If you don't want to build my set, I understand. And I would find someone who does want to work with me in that case. Yeah. But I'm not going to let them fully influence my decision where I'm like, you know what? I have to cast Derek as Dora Lee because that's what he wants. He <laughs> wants to be I Dolly. do, but I know it's unrealistic. <laughs> so I have to, I, I think about that. Like I have to think about what's going to work best for the cast in general. And that's my yeah. job as the director. I'm kind of the overall coordinator of the mm-hmm. group. And, you know, I don't find it an ethical conflict if I'm still leaving the decision up to me, mm-hmm. if I'm not like if if Becca came to me and said, I'm going to be Dora Lee mm-hmm. and I just said, yes, you want to be that role. So <laughs> I'm going to give you that one because you're my musical director. That's a conflict. Oh, yes. But if she comes to me and says, I want to be Dora Lee, and I say, you know, I've I listened to you. I, I heard what you did. You don't fit that role. I'm not going to place you there. Then I've done my job Mm -hmm. to get rid of that conflict. I have done my job to say that I have given you a fair and equal chance just like everyone else. And that's my goal is to give everyone a fair and equal chance just like everyone else. And that's what I plan to do in this one, too. (laughs) Great. Well, since we're on the topic already, and this is way off topic from this particular episode, but very much on topic for the podcast in general. Four or five episodes back, I was talking to Tommy Jackson, and he specifically mentioned you and another director as directors who he feels cultivate particularly safe, ethical spaces out of your rehearsal environments, your audition environments, your performance environments. Is that something you consciously do? Yes. And can you talk a little bit about what you do toward that end? Yes. So... I think that I have an interesting approach because I've managed businesses for a really long time. And I have this with the businesses I manage too. My staff are my friends. And a lot of people will red flag that a million times because I say my staff are my friends. But I treat them like that at least. Mm -hmm. I don't treat my staff like my family. I treat them like my friends. You need to talk to me about something that's going on that's bugging you. Are you super busy right now and rehearsals are like getting in the way of how busy you are? Is there something going on? I know with Tommy, like things were going on with the other show he was directing and we got to like actually sit and talk about like, where is the conflict? What's going on? And let people be heard. Mm -hmm. 
I think that anytime that you're in a leadership role, if you have an open door policy, which I keep at all times in my life, you have an open door policy. You tell people, hey, come talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Because even if you don't agree with what's going on, what they feel is real. What people feel is a real thing. And we have to take it into consideration whenever we're working on anything we do. How people feel matter. Mm -hmm. It's really the thing that matters to me the most because there are a lot of theater environments that are incredibly toxic. They think that yelling and screaming at people is the way to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. They think that I'm the director, I'm in charge, what I say goes, everything I say you have to do, like we don't veer, I don't care how you feel, you're going to do it that way. And I've been in situations where I've been in a show and I've been in a costume that I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable in this, like, Mm -hmm. I feel super exposed, like, I have to sing in this, and it's so tight that I can't sing in it, and I'm super exposed, can we do something? And I've had directors be like, no, wear that, go on stage, I don't care that you're uncomfortable, it looks good. And, like, living in that world of being like, okay, I guess I will just do it. And I've, for a very long time, I've been doing theater since I was very, very, very little, Mm -hmm. And probably for the last 25-ish years, I have been a okay person. Every time (laughs) someone tells me something, I say, okay, I'll do it. Uh. Okay, I'll do it. I've never stuck up for myself. I have just always been the, yes, I will do it. You told me I needed to. You're the authority figure. And I don't want to be that. I want someone to be like, hey, I feel really revealed in this. Mm -hmm. Can we do something? And I say, yes. I want you to be comfortable on stage. Now, I have to have authority in some way because of I'm directing Mm -hmm. where I have my thing is like, hey, if you want to do something, run it by me first. And then we can talk about it and we can see how it works. We can see how it feels. Even if you want to call it out in rehearsal, you're like, hey, I don't like the way I'm moving. Can I try this? That's fine. You have asked me, in my opinion. Go ahead. Try it. We'll Mm -hmm. see how it works. I'm not going to let you look bad on stage. So if it doesn't look good, I'm going to say, hey, yeah, no, that really doesn't work. Let's revert or we can talk about a third way that we can do it and work with them that way. But it then makes people feel a lot more comfortable to work with me because, well, I hope anyways that it makes them feel more comfortable to work with me because I actually try their ideas. And I would tell you about 85% of the time my actor comes with an idea to me to do and I'm like, hey, that's hysterical. Yes, let's keep that. Like... (laughs) I find everything funny. I can tell you I laugh more at my shows than anyone else does because I find every little minute detail hysterical (laughs) when I'm working on a show. So I'm hoping that I'm cultivating that environment and trying to break the toxic nature Mm -hmm. of I'm the person in authority, so you have to listen to everything I say whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. It's funny and I'm really getting out of the theater scope here I I noticed some similarities between the approaches basically the approach you're describing and things I hear in therapy because I'm a very big proponent of people going to Mm -hmm. therapy in in general and two of the big principles that come up in that world are clear communication honest communication open communication which seems to be very much what you're describing with people bringing up issues mm-hmm. and then respecting people's feelings. And there's a slightly different angle in therapy and that's you know, a lot of people have rough relationships with their own feelings. But mm-hmm. one of the principles is every feeling is is valid. Like you don't control whether you have feelings. And, and that ties in, I think, at least partially to what you say about making sure that feelings are heard. Mm-hmm. And then it's your responsibility to determine what you do with those. You can, you can do inappropriate things with the feelings, but no actual feeling itself is inappropriate. Right, exactly. Just the way you handle them. Exactly. And if you're talking about your feelings, you're more likely, I think as soon as we, and this might be the therapy thing in mm-hmm. general too, uh, the more you vocalize your actual feelings, the more you are to talk yourself out of doing something bad. <laughs> if you're actually talking to another person. I, I heard an interesting thing um, recently and I loved it. And it was that, gossip is actually not the worst thing. Uh We have put a negative connotation onto gossip, but that's how we process 
how we view other people and what we like and don't like. And gossip is not always a negative thing. You could be gossiping about how great someone is. Mm -hmm. And that's how we process what we like, what we don't like, what we're doing. But the straight white man told us (laughs) that gossiping was bad because it was all talking about him and Uh that it was the church told us gossiping was bad because Uh it's all about them that they were talking about and they didn't want people to process feelings about them. But that's how we process our feelings. That's how we say, huh, this is something I really like. Or this person acted this way and it was crazy. We're processing. We're processing with our friends and with the people that we care about. Now, do you go gossip it to everybody? No. Uh Do I tell my husband and talk about all of the problems that I'm having with my husband? Yes, because I'm processing my feelings. That's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting to look at it that way, right? Yeah. TikTok, man. Sometimes you find TikToks that you're like, yes, I connect with you. <laughs> I've always, unfortunately, found myself a gossip queen. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to be. I'm not trying to talk about people negatively ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I want, when I hear that people are having an issue with someone and I feel any way connected to that i'm like i did this i made everybody talk bad about them and i feel so bad that no one wants to work with that person or no one wants to do it's my fault and i have to realize that like no they were just also expressing those feelings and trying to work out what was wrong and they made a decision on their own about how they felt about something and it's something that i worked for for a long time because if you would have met me in like 2012 I don't think anybody would want to work with me the way that people work with me now. Why is I that? was mean. Oh. And I, no one had ever communicated well to me about how I handled people. And I just thought that, you know, well, I always listen to authority figures when they yell at me. So I should yell at people and I should be stern and I mm-hmm. should do this. And I'm going to tell them exactly. And my very first show that I directed, they really struggled to get off book. And I had had a director one time when I was in high school make us do what's called a top of the page rehearsal. Have you ever done a top of the page rehearsal? No. What is this? They are super toxic. Let me (laughs) say this. No one should do top of the page rehearsals. When your actors are struggling, you go page by page. And every time they mess up one word in a line, they go back to the top of the page. And they keep learning them. And I did that to them because that's what I was taught and we are taught bad habits that are toxic and I think that we live in a world where all the people in authority positions are usually narcissists and (laughs) we just let them control things the way that they want to Mm -hmm. and it isn't until we talk out those feelings like I felt Bad making them do it and still did it the whole time and held my own on the position. I had an actor yell at me and I was like, well, maybe get your lines right and then you'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. And it was, and they all knew it was one particular actress who was struggling with her lines. I didn't sit down and like work with her individually. That's what I would have done now. Mm-hmm. But like at the time I was like, yeah, we struggle as a group and that's what teamwork meant to me. Like I'm in charge. Y'all do what I say exactly the way I say it. And that's not teamwork, but that's how I was taught and raised in theater. How did you make the transition from that mindset to your approach now? Jeremy Torres. (laughs) Oh, very specific answer. (laughs) Yes. So I had directed. So when I got to Texas State, I had already been at community college. And the director I worked with at community college, phenomenal. I mean, he's an amazing guy. The stuff he does is beautiful. He was the first person to let me direct full-length shows. I was doing main stage shows for them, which is really rare for a student to be able to do. And then I went to Jeremy Torres and I started working on things and he had the total opposite effect on me. Mm-hmm. While I had learned this like authoritarian, this is how I do things, like this is how we're going to do it every single time. I'm going to make sure Jeremy was all empathy that is where he lived Mm -hmm. everything was empathy towards other people and the more i did that i was like this is this is how i want to talk to people i want people to you know think of me and not be like 
that bitch made me do this thing. <laughs> I want them to be like, oh, I love working with that person. Like, I love to hang out in their office. I want to see how they're doing while we're not working on a show. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be around them. And it was already a super hard time in my life. I was diagnosed with diabetes the same week my dad passed away. And... Oh. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And so I was, and it was unexpected that he passed away too. And I was really struggling. And Jeremy was super empathetic towards all of that. I mean, to the point of, as my professor was like, you're really tired and I can see you're tired. Here's a key to my office. Go sleep on my couch. Don't be in this class. Or I'm going to talk to your scene design class that you're behind on this project I'm going to do that. I'm going to see what we can do to get you an extension because I know it's probably really awkward for you right now to go and be like, hey, I didn't get that done, but I was going through so much. And just that connection of what he gave me. In that short time, uh, he passed away. Jeremy passed away in 2016, a couple of days after I graduated from Texas State. Uh And I'd only gone to Texas State for two years. So we had a two-year relationship. And in that time, I all of a sudden was like, I understand now, like, how I should treat people. And it took some re-evaluation on myself. And after every show, I kind of sit down and think about, like, oh, I probably should have handled this moment better. Mm -hmm. Or if I feel like I handled a moment bad, I try to immediately address it and be like, hey, I handled that wrong. Like, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Like, I understand. And I'm not perfect. Like, of course, I obviously look over things, I gossip, as you've just learned. (laughs) Like, I do all the normal things that people do, but if I can just take that empathetic nature to it, then all of a sudden, I think it's a much healthier environment for everybody that's around if I at least acknowledge that people are people and they're going through things. All right, that is a wonderful note to end this on. (laughs) Uh, And we are simply out of time today, but let's do this again in... Four months? Three months? Yeah. Whenever, once, <laughs> once we get the show open, we'll find out what <laughs> challenges came up and we'll, we'll, we'll tell you the listener then. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. This has been the Community of Theater podcast. If you're listening on or around the original release date, which is the beginning of March 2023, and if you're in Central Texas, we would love to see you at the auditions for 9 to 5. You can find the details at mygbt.org, and I'll include them in the show notes for this episode. After recording, Beth let me know that she misspoke early in the episode, so I'd like to issue a correction that she is on the director's committee at the Gaslight Baker, not the advisory committee. Now, I always solicit feedback here at the end of the episode, but particularly given that we already have a follow-up conversation planned, please reach out to me and let me know if there's anything I've missed or if you have specific questions for Beth when we come back in the summer. As usual, you can reach me at communityoftheater at gmail.com. Theater spelled either R-E or E-R. I grabbed both spellings. Or message the show page on Facebook. Thanks for listening. And if you're currently in a production, break a leg.